It's been almost a year since the federal government's carbon pricing scheme came into effect. Some places saw prices jump at the pump, and with tax season upon us, people have yet to see any rebates from the so-called carbon tax. But some provincial governments say the tax is unconstitutional. It treads on the areas of governance the provinces are supposed to take care of. And the fight is going straight to the top, to the Supreme Court of Canada. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why... The Prime Minister tells us that the carbon tax will be good for us. But then I sit back and say, really? Why should anybody believe what he says anymore? These are the cold, hard facts, my friends. Our gas prices have just shot up at least 4.4 cents a litre. In fact, it's more than 5 cents a litre when you include the HST. Households will pay higher home heating bills, and by the time the federal government is done, the average household will have to pay $648 a year more in carbon tax expenses. That was Ontario Premier Doug Ford nearly a year ago, April 2019, when the federal carbon backstop came into effect across the country. His government took the law to task, challenging it in court as being unconstitutional. In a split decision, Ontario's Court of Appeal found that the new carbon pricing law was constitutional, that the federal government had jurisdiction to levy the pricing. Scott Moe's government in Saskatchewan tried the same and got the same result. And now they're going to the Supreme Court of Canada. Those long-awaited hearings were set for next week, but have now been postponed until at least June, as the Supreme Court joins the rest of the country in social distancing practices amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Scott Moe's government has said it agrees with the delay, but they're looking forward to challenging the law in court. But what could happen? Let's go to an expert. Martin Olszynski is an associate professor of law at the University of Calgary and joins us. Welcome, Martin. Uh, Good to be here. Martin, before we get too deep into the weeds, you were mentioning off-air that you are a bit more involved with this case than just as an observing law professor. That's right. So, I mean, up until recently, I was following it sort of strictly in my um, capacity, I guess, as, a, as an academic and, and someone who writes in the area of environmental law in Canada. Uh, but then yeah, before the Supreme Court, I will be re- representing one of the interveners uh, here from Alberta, actually, in support of uh, the legislation. But for this discussion, we're going to ask that you put on your law professor hat. Absolutely. And I think that that's, you know, at the end of the day for interveners, we have about, you know, five minutes and 10 pages. So in fact, the part of the case that that I'll be dealing with there is, is quite limited in scope. On the eve of the carbon tax challenges in the Supreme Court, can you get us caught up to now to why two provincial governments are going to court to challenge the federal carbon tax? One point of clarification, what's interesting, of course, is that everyone has referred to this national carbon pricing regime as a tax, but in fact, um, no court so far in Canada hasn't argued, at least not as its primary argument, that it is a tax, but rather that it's a regulatory charge. And I'll come back to that in a second about why that distinction matters. Um, so, So the Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act uh, impose it, you know, has several parts, and it's really parts one and two that everyone is sort of um, concerned about from a provincial perspective. Part one sort of essentially creates that that uh, tax on fuel that we would all feel at the pump, um, and then part two uh, creates a sort of a pretty specific uh, sector uh, specific regime that's intended to sort of um, 
you know, move industry towards uh, reducing their emissions, um, but at the same time, ensuring that they're not, you know, punished essentially and compared to, for instance, their competitors in, in foreign jurisdictions who don't have similar um, issues. So for trade-exposed industries, it's what's called an output-based uh, system. And so, uh, yeah, the, the act was passed. Mr. Speaker, on this side of the House, we understand how important it is to fight climate change while building a strong economy for the future and good jobs for Canadians over the coming generations. That means we agree that putting a price on pollution, making sure that polluters pay, is the best way to move forward. Saskatchewan and Ontario challenged the Act very quickly. Um, a couple other provinces indicated that they would, but then sort of decided not to. Um, the Saskatchewan decision and the Ontario decisions were released last year. Uh, those were first out of the gate, and those would have been references by those provincial governments to their, to their courts of appeal. So we got a Saskatchewan Court of Appeal decision, and we have an Ontario Court of Appeal decision, and both of those found in favour of the federal government. They upheld this um, legislation. Um, but in both cases, the decisions were split. There was a majority decision, and then there were dissenting the judges who sort of felt like, no, this wasn't, this wasn't an appropriate um, approach for the government to take. And then, of course, most recently, the Alberta Court of Appeal released its decision. This is a great victory for Alberta and a victory for Canadian federalism. And we will take this decision with us as we stand up for our allies in Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Quebec at the Supreme Court of Canada next month. Before the Supreme Court, formally, it is just the Ontario and Saskatchewan decisions um, that are being that have been appealed. Uh, in a sense, we could say that Alberta sort of ran out of time. Um, but of course, I think it's clear. And, and when we look at the Alberta Court of Appeal decision, um, you know, they were in a let's say they they were they were interested in making sure that that decision was out uh, before the Supreme Court considered it. And certainly, I think you can expect that the judges at the Supreme Court are aware of that. And, and in fact, also that the Attorney General of Alberta, when he appears before the Supreme Court, not as a proper party, but as an intervener, because again, it's just those Saskatchewan and, uh, and Ontario cases, but, but he will be, you know, acutely aware of what of where they were successful with the Alberta Court of Appeal, and, and we'll probably try to push a lot of those similar arguments uh, before the Supreme Court. The Courts of Appeal in Ontario, Saskatchewan, and Alberta are the highest courts in those provinces. In the cases of Ontario and Saskatchewan, appeals can be made to the Supreme Court of Canada, and those decisions would be binding across Canada. Now, it's a little bit tricky in this context because we're not, these are what's called reference cases. And so, you know, traditionally you have an actual dispute between the parties and you go to have it resolved and whatever the court says is the resolution. In this instance, it's almost as though the, you know, the governments didn't want to wait for a party, for instance, like a, an industrial emitter or somebody else um, to challenge the law itself. So they challenged it themselves. Mm. And, and so what you're getting from the courts is an opinion uh, it has a sense, I mean, I think for all intents and purposes, practically speaking, it has the same sort of uh, effect on the parties. Everyone sort of accepts whatever it is that the court decides. But technically speaking, it's almost more like an advisory opinion that the court is writing than a formal judgment. The Alberta court was the only of the three provincial courts that decided the carbon tax is unconstitutional. How could that affect the Supreme Court's decision? So in each case, of course, the, the legislation that's being challenged in this case, the federal legislation, is the same in each case, right? And, and so then the issue in these cases actually isn't so much whether or not the government can, the federal government in particular, can, can pass laws to deal with climate change. But it's really a question of which 
powers it can use. And so our constitution sort of divides legislative power, the, the ability to make laws uh, between the provinces and the federal government. And we have this kind of idea in Canada, because we're a federation, that, that it's not as though the federal government is a parent over the sort of the, all the children, which are the provinces, but rather that these are equals and that they're equals and paramount in their own spheres of jurisdiction um, and, and that that's how things should go. And, and so we know in the government's, in the federal government's case, there are heads of power. So these are listed in Section 91 and 92. Section 91 says what the federal government can do. Section 92 of the Constitution says what the provinces can do. And so there's actually a lot of potential provisions in each list um, to that you could deal with climate change. There is a taxation power. There is a criminal law power that's been used to protect the environment. Um, but in this case, Canada has specifically chosen to rely on what's called the residual POG power. So there's this opening words to Section 91 that say, essentially, you can make orders, you can make laws for peace, order, and good government, generally, kind of, it's like a, it's like a chapeau, if you will. And then it says, but then also these enumerated heads. And, and the, the reality of our constitutional history and case law is that the courts have been very cagey about the federal government's use of that residual power. They wanted to constrain it, understandably, because they recognize that if they, that if they open that up too broadly, um, it could sort of tilt the balance. Like if there's a balance that's reflected between 91 and 92, but you have this kind of like catch-all at the top of 91, the federal power, then you could see how that might be a problem over time. And so essentially what's happened is Saskatchewan and Ontario have said, we recognize that we need to be careful here before we let the federal government rely on that sort of residual POG power. But we think in this case, they've met the test. Whereas Alberta essentially went the way of the dissenting judges in those cases and said, we don't think here that you've met the test. And so, and, and in the context of doing so, I will say, though, they don't just sort of adopt the reasoning of the dissenting judges at the Saskatchewan and, and Ontario Courts of Appeal, which basically just say, this is too broad and therefore you can't do it. Um, our court here has definitely gone out of its way, I think, to lay new pipe, if you will, um, uh, sort, of juris sort of principles that maybe aren't necessarily, there's not a lot of precedent for, but they sort of said, look, this is what we think this means. And, 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 and in particular, they raised the province's jurisdiction over natural resources. And they say, essentially, you can't, the federal government can't come in with a this kind of regulation, which could could potentially, you know, if not sterilize, then at least severely impede the province's, you know, own policies and preferences for resource development. And in particular, I'm thinking about oil and gas. The charade ends in this place today. As we, as we, the government says this move will save Albertans more than a billion dollars per year. The most obvious spot is at the gas pump, where prices at many stations across the province moved lower. Kenny has long said the policy put forward by the NDP has hurt families while doing nothing to actually reduce emissions. So Martin, if I'm understanding this correctly, a lot of these arguments are surrounding POG, peace, order, and good government. That's right. Absolutely. So what would an analog to that be outside of, you know, provincial and federal government? The provinces are the primary sort of like players insofar as things within the provinces are concerned. And the federal government is supposed to sort of be in charge of those things that are ma that matter to us as a, as a as the whole, right? As, a, as the Dominion, as a Confederation of Canada. Um, so it's almost like saying... Um, Maybe when you're dividing up, you know, maybe tasks between, uh, you know, you might have managers within a company, for instance, and say, okay, you're in charge of this list and you're in charge of this list. And recognizing that we can't come up with a perfect list now that will capture everything that, we'll, that we may come upon into the future, 
we will reserve this kind of like the, what we we need to have some kind of sort of like catch all uh, for things that will come up that we're not that we can't anticipate right now and and a way of saying who will be responsible for that right because there's the argument that emissions don't necessarily stay within a province's borders exactly right and and so this is you know and in fact so one of the tests uh, for using this residual power is what's called the you know the provincial inability test and and so it's kind of one of these criteria or sort of factors that helps the court decide whether we're there or not and it basically says what would be the effect what would be the effect on other provinces of a of a of one province's failure to deal with the matter effectively, right? And so this is then the argument that is made. British Columbia made, has made this argument, made it as as one of the provinces that supports the federal government here. It says, look, we've had a carbon tax for 15 years. We've done a lot to sort of bend the curve on our own emissions. But if Alberta doesn't do anything, then any and then anything that we do is essentially undermined. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not to say Alberta's not doing it doing stuff. It is. The question always comes down to, you know, there's almost like an equity argument in in all of this, of course, right, is that everyone has to be rowing in the same direction, more or less. These POG powers, has it been tested in Canadian courts before, like in the Supreme Court? And how could those previous tests affect these carbon tax hearings? Yeah, so it has been, but but not for a while, actually. And so that's part of the trick is that we actually... um, you know, so the, the last time that it was used successfully was around the early 80s uh, in a case called R versus Crown Zellerback, where the federal government successfully argued that marine pollution by ocean dumping was a matter of national concern. And, and so that case is really the last one that we have. Um, it was brought up again as a potential basis for upholding the, the Canadian Environmental Protection Act, uh, and, in, and specifically its regime for toxic substances around the late 1990s. But at, at that point, the Supreme Court signaled that it was uncomfortable with up using POG, and it used uh, in a sort of unprecedented way, it said it would prefer to uphold the law on the basis of the criminal law power. Mm. which at the time there was no real precedent for. And, and SIPA is a fairly, um, let's say, regulatory regime. And so there was some criticism at the time that that wasn't necessarily the best way to go. But, but so what's essentially happened is if we look back on 100 years, you know, you essentially have, you all, you have two kinds of lines of cases. You have those cases that sort of say, sort of, yeah, there are things here that are going to fall in this context. And and it's not the end of the world if we recognize them as falling within this POG power, then you do certainly have a few cases that are very concerned, seem to express the strong concern that if you do recognize these things, that it will upset the balance of confederation um, and of federalism. And so it's really, I think, before the Supreme Court, um, definitely what we anticipate is that they're going to have to do some they're going to have to make some calls here about, you know, what is the nature of this power? Is it different than these other powers? Uh, you know, there's some suggestion that it's more, you know, that you can't essentially that the provinces are less able to pass their own laws in the face of it than they would when we're dealing with sort of regular powers. And so these are the things that we have to sort of, um, that the Supreme Court will have to grapple with. Are there any other legal or legislative mechanisms that could affect these Supreme Court cases? I think the most recent one was um, that we've seen, and that is certainly on point, is with respect to securities. Um, so there has been, a, so generally speaking, securities are um, regulated at the provincial level in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, for about a decade now, there's been an effort to try to move that towards a national securities regulator for obvious, you know, for reasons dealing with the sort of interconnectedness of the economy and, and the idea that it would be good to have one standard across the board. Um, and those decisions are relevant. They're a little different because they don't engage the POG power. They're, they're engaging different powers at both the federal and provincial level. But 
certainly they would, you know, so what the court has said is um, that generally speaking, you can't just transfer just because you think it's a good idea, because it's a good policy, that we're not going to change the constitutional structure for that reason, that you have to respect it. So there was a, previous, a first securities reference in early 2011. Um, the federal government and, and some of the provinces who are interested in this took a second kick at the can more recently. Um, and, and in that second securities reference, they sort of said, okay, here are the things that the federal government could actually do. And so they were able to secure constitutional sort of blessing, the court's blessing for this kind of like hybrid system where the provinces would retain certain jurisdiction um, and, and then the federal government would retain it, would, would, would be able to assume this new sort of jurisdiction for managing what they refer to as systemic risk. And that, that's risk that would be sort of relevant to the Canadian economy as a whole. And so it actually provides a pretty um, useful template for what's going on here, because essentially that is what the federal tax law here that we're discussing purports to do. It sort of says, here are these minimum national standards. If the provinces have done their work and they have a comparable stringency, our system stands down. Mm. Right? So that's this idea that it's just a backstop, really. It's just really there that each province can do what it needs to do, um, but it can't go below a certain floor. So if I understand you correctly, the Supreme Court could either determine the carbon pricing is constitutional and it remains status quo, or it could be struck down as unconstitutional and the federal carbon pricing would have to go back to the drawing board or be pulled altogether. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for your time in taking us through these arguments, Martin. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Thanks. You're very welcome. Maybe we'll get a chance to chat after the dust settles. We don't know when that dust will settle. The Supreme Court of Canada has postponed until at least June hearing a constitutional challenge of the federal government's carbon tax over the spread of the novel coronavirus. As part of a countrywide effort to stem the spread of COVID-19, Chief Justice Richard Wagner says the court is putting off several hearings, including on the much-anticipated carbon tax case. Wagner says the hearings on those appeals are being tentatively postponed until June, among other measures to reduce the potential for spreading COVID-19, including closing the Supreme Court building to visitors. This is Why is produced by me, Dave McIver, and Adam Toy. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email, thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a five-star rating and tell a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a week.